you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Uh, a question for you. Is, is there something, um, is there a political strike going on us every in, in here in Holland? Because everywhere we go, they're saying something about a hunger strike. I was just wondering, what is that? Uh, when, when, when Chris is here, you're going to yell that at him too, I hope, huh? And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and we're second episode into this little mini series here where we're working on the 30th anniversary of 1992 last week we did a great show in den hog we're working through the holland shows working through the netherlands here and today is going to be a show that i think a lot of people know the name of but have you really listened to the show that's going to be a good question i think a lot of people that are old school people have but i think the name is going to ring a lot of bells in people's minds. Tivoli. Now, that's the venue name. The location is in Utrecht. So I couldn't tell you where that is. I don't really know Holland, Netherlands geography at all. So I'm not help with that. But look, they did a ton of shows. And that's why we're doing this little run here. And next week's going to be Rotterdam. There are a ton of shows that really saw the band near its peak at this time. And again, we're just going to go into just a lot of Pearl Jam at its prime or just getting into its prime here. So introduce everybody. Randy Sobel over here. John Ferrer over there. Hello, hello. Second week in this 1992 thing, John. And I was trying to think, I was trying to think like, I think this is one of the only times we've covered like consecutive shows in back-to-back weeks we guys did that early early on i think episodes like one and two right well i mean i think back to the wrigley series we did it in the wrigley right? series with That's true. 16 and 18 there. pj20 as well right. so it's yeah. been kind of one-offs but not like this where it's all we're focusing on a section of time essentially like for right. a whole month right so it's it's a lot different in that fest 
uh, like last week was just classic moment after classic moment. And like this one's very close to that as well. Another very, very good show. I think we should just start off with, obviously, I mentioned the, the elephant in the room, the name Tivoli is the name of the venue, but you guys, everybody listening probably knows that best for Ed's shirt. It has been honored on his Funko Pop, as you'll see, and it, the shirt comes from Pink Pop. It's a little hard to find the origin story of the shirt. But what I thought it was, I thought that Ed had created a stencil and spray painted it on. I thought that that was part of it. But there are a couple different stories that you can read that says that he bought it before the Pink Pop show. He he went back and he bought it and then wanted to specifically wear it there. But it's tough to find where it all started. The shirt has almost become more of a thing than the show itself. Like, I think a lot of people know the the shirt and especially because you know we, we went back to it and they talked about it at pink pop in 2018 they said but i think more people associate it with just the shirt than the show yeah that was kind of what i was getting at before yeah, yeah. that like you know when digging and really going into it and digging and you see that you know what is tavoli or like really looking it up where does tavoli come from you'll see the connection that yeah they had the show in tavoli and then ed went out and got a tavoli shirt but again it's like imprinted on his chest at one of their most famous shows very very early on like basically what two or three months after this show that we're covering now they're they're yeah. back in holland they were really non-stop during this year, they were just everywhere from Lollapalooza. And then there was barely any breaks in between. But I think that so many people just have this memory of him wearing the shirt and they just look at it and they're like, Tavoli, hmm, interesting. And then more stories kind of come about later as to why the Tavoli shirt means something to him. So after this show, and this has been talked about on numerous shows whenever they've gone back there, mostly to Amsterdam in the past years, because that's going to be wherever all the people flock to. But after this show, Ed met a woman named Valeska Custers. And that name might be familiar to you, but I'm going to tell her story here. So essentially, Ed met her when she was helping load the opener band, which is called city pig unit they they became really popular as you can tell but like local band i believe and she was friends with them and she was helping like load the truck or or whatever and ed was just kind of standing around and you know they they ended up kind of greeting each other and once you know it it was like 3 a.m and you know we don't know what the conversation's about we have no idea like what kind of connection they had but they connected on some level that was meaningful. The whole story after this, at 3 a.m., Custer said, I offered to call him a taxi, but he asked, do you have a bike? And he wanted to ride on the back of her bike. So he hopped on the back of the bike and got cold and wanted to borrow, you know, a sweater or something like that. So she looked into the backpack that belonged to her brother's. The bike was her brother's as well pulled out a flannel, red flannel, and he put on the flannel, wore it to the trip back to, I'm not sure if it was her home, I'm not sure if it was the hotel that Ed was staying at, but they kind of said their goodbyes, you know, past 3 a.m. She gave him her address so he can return the flannel. They shook hands, waved goodbye, and she rode out of sight, forgetting that he was still wearing the backpack 
with the flannel inside. So he had some items of her brother's that he needed to return. And for a while, Ed, either at his solo shows or some Pearl Jam shows, had always brought this up, especially in the late 2000s when he's just kind of being there. He's kind of thinking about her. He brings up in her show, like, I got a ride from a girl riding a bicycle and spent all night talking to her. And I've never seen her again, never heard from her again. Ed never sent the items back. He kept the flannel and the backpack oh, with him yeah, yeah. for all this time. So I'm sure he just got absent-minded and so much going on tour. Ed said that he thinks he, he had it for a while and then somewhere down the line, it, it just got lost. So you never know, but they reunited. They end up getting reunited. This was on Ed's solo tour in 2019. She had reached out to some publication Asked, like, hey, like, I want my shit back. No, it wasn't, hey, I want my shit back. It was, <laughs> hey, know, like, know. Ed's in town. How do I meet him? It's been 27 years. How do I get in touch with him? How do I connect with him again? And I believe, it doesn't say so in this article, but I remember reading that Ed kind of had, like, a, a little symphony orchestra, like a four-piece symf symphony orchestra that he was touring with at the time. And I believe somebody from that group got in touch and coordinated the whole thing so she can come backstage during, I believe it was the Brussels show. Okay, yeah, I think there was like, yeah, there was like a string quartet involved or something. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So they obviously have a moment together and they're kind of sharing stories and the flannel was addressed. And Ed says, I'm not sure if I still have it by now, but I kept it for years at least. And she said, my brother says that you can keep it. So I think... Overall, things were resolved, but this has always been kind of for, for a couple of years was was part of the lore of what this show was and part of the never ending story of like trying to to find this girl. And, and he had said during those shows, if, if you're here, stand up and got silence from it, you know? Yeah. So nobody yeah. knew what he was really talking about. Now we have the whole story here. So, yeah, it's just these little chance meetings and like who would have thought all these years later that they meet again and like we finally get closure on this story from 1992 amazing yeah and imagine if pearl jam flopped in 1996 and you know <laughs> ed is now like at this point in time would be like the flashback to the 90s tour kind of guy yeah. maybe yeah. doing his own stuff the eve or, six guy uh, yeah pretty much and i know that he was he was smarter than that so it was never going to happen but he could have faded into oblivion and they would have never seen each other again. But because Pearl Jam are who they are and Ed is who he is, it all worked out. And city pig unit is the biggest band in the world. The next thing I want to get into, we mentioned it in the last episode that Ed on the off day got a tattoo and we were kind of deliberating. We didn't really remember what it was, and I wasn't smart enough to say, hold on a second, let me Google it. But after the episode that we recorded, I said, okay, I'll actually do it. And I found out what it was. And it's a tomahawk crisscrossed with a monkey wrench. And I, I, I did know that, but at the time it just sort of escaped me. I have no idea why. And it's for an organization called Earth First. They're an environmental advocacy group that fights for animal preservation and wildlife intact to keep a, the environment intact and things like that. 
And yeah, that was his first tattoo. I have no idea what his connection with that organization is, though. I, yeah, I'm I sure yeah. because he's always been an environmental guy. So I'm sure there's something there that he he knew the group and is a part of it. But that's a big deal to get something like that tattooed on you for life. You know, they never were like one of the main like kind of in your face. People always remember, you know, you hear about Greenpeace and yeah. And- PETA and things like that but earth first you can tell like they were never in it for like the publicity so that makes me think that they're actually like a very good organization and like they actually do things behind the scenes that are important so i can i can see that appealing to him definitely interesting story and now we're at the part of the show like we did last episode we're gonna hear from the guys brian and patrick over at hallucinogenic recipe we're gonna talk a little bit about the bootleg story about this and it's interesting I'll give you a little heads up as to what they're going to talk about. This wasn't a bootleg that got circulated until 1996, believe it or not. Why? Well, listen to what they have to say. This is Patrick Bogle with Brian Horowitz from Hallucinogenic Recipe. Brian, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing well. We're here to talk about Pearl Jam from Utrecht, Holland on March 4th, 1992, the Tivoli Show. This boot came out four years after the show actually was played. It was the fall of 96 when this really became available to everybody on the Moonraker label, which was a kind of weird offshoot label. This was post the big bust of the Euro imports that occurred in 1995. Uh, So this was sort of an emerging new label. And this one really came out of the blue. It was labeled as a pre-FM soundboard recording. It, it really is more just a straight plug into the digital soundboard. There was never a FM broadcast of the show. So it's, it's more likely that it was just a straight digital feed that somebody had been able to tap into at the club itself. But completely out of the blue during the no-code era, we get this 1992 Euro Tour show which sounds phenomenal. I mean, it is one of the best sounding recordings during this time frame. You you really, really get a deep, rich understanding of all of the dynamics of the band. You get a punchy bass. You just get really great dynamics. And it was such a treat to get this as a complete sort of look at that tour in the rearview mirror. And it just brings so much to that time frame just a great great depth of sound that this bootleg brought out brian what are your thoughts on this one when did you first pick them up on this particular boot as i mentioned this came out in 96 i got it right away in the stores when did you first come across this one yeah so this was one that i got on tape in a trade and it had to have been towards the end of my tape trading days because I was really only active trading tapes from, yeah, about like 94 to probably sometime in 97, maybe early 98. And yeah, same thing. I, I, I know when I got it, the person wrote down on the liner that it was 3-2-92. And I, I remember I sort of had to jog my memory a little bit. I remember getting it being disappointed, but there was no track listing on it. So I played it and then realized I had a different show than what I already had from three two ninety two, which I had had for a couple of years. So when I look at the tape that I have now, it's a handwritten set list by me, but yeah, I remember, I remember getting it. And and to your point, just being like, wait, like, why is this a few years later and how does it sound so good? And it's never surfaced anymore. I'd love to know the history there. Like who sat on this 
for, for nearly four years and then went, oh, wait, I have a great soundboard March 4th, 92 show from Pearl Jam. People might want to hear this. Absolutely. I mean, one of the other, you know, interesting things about this one, similar to the Den Haag boot that we talked about previously, this came out as a single disc originally and had a few moments that are spliced out. Mostly it's encore break and some crowd banter that happens between Leash and then going into Hunger Strike, which was labeled more or less the encore for this show. And that's ultimately got mixed out and expanded. I think it was roughly... 2003 2004 that the the complete tape started to surface among trading circles at that point BitTorrent circles because tape trading and cdr trading had gone the wayside and everybody was doing things via digital downloads at that point but another one where you got a little bit more of a gap filled but again nothing musically it was more banter and back and forth between the band as they were coming back out stage between the encore so in reference to this what are the moments that you kind of think pull out of this particular show? I mean, this is a, a big one in terms of it's got everything that you'd want from an early Pearl Jam set list. But what is that one track that sticks out from this? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll point at a couple things. I mean, I'll sound like a skipping record again by, by saying Porch. But again, that, the version of Porch on this one, when you compare it to the earlier ones and then the ones to come, sort of all tell the story about where they were going with that those summer 92 porches where it all kind of comes together like like Zurich. You, you can hear it in here. And you can also hear preludes to what's going to happen in the unplugged version as well. A couple of things I wanted to point out really quick. I was actually listening to this show when we were prepping for this a couple of weeks ago. I just I hadn't listened to it in a while. And I love just the energy, not, not, not a song itself, but the energy as they go from release into then even flow and why go. There's just this incredible like pre- mega stardom pre-jaded pre-angry and lashing out band just out to kill you and it's just there's this incredible amount of energy release as they go into even flow out of release that's just awesome and then i just also love you just look at that encore and I, it's pretty special that they open the encore with like kind of a improv jam and end the encore with an improv jam just kind of a special little moment in time let alone the fact that that sandwich is like alone in an early leash again in garden it's just i mean that's just epic yeah, it, it definitely has that flow and feel and like what you were saying, that energy and almost like sort of unbridled joy versus almost that combating fighting with the machine that would come on as the summer goes and you get into the Lala tour and the post Lala tour, which the world turns on a dime for them as they go from living their dream to battling their dream. And, and this is a, a really great encapsulation of that moment where they're feeling themselves in a much more positive and joyous that they're able to be able to out be out there playing and touring this new record that they had just released yeah absolutely it's a special moment in time they're still hungry they're still out there to slay there's there's nothing else kind of going on yet and that would very quickly change I, I think you hear a little bit of that in like kind of april and may and then but and after that it was just off to the races but definitely these, these kind of holland shows early march 92 holland shows are just a special moment in time for sure absolutely well, that's awesome we're gonna wrap that up and we're gonna hear what the guys at live on four legs have to say about this and we'll catch you next time all right thank you brian and patrick from hallucinogenic recipe great insight as always and look they're 
creating new episodes. We're getting some out. And when their episodes come out, they, they first come out on our Patreon, if you want to listen to it there at first. And then a couple weeks later, we make sure that we get it on our main platform. They're in connection with us. They're under our umbrella and we love the work that they're doing and they're going to do so much more in the future and, and including getting on some guests that'll be pivotal to the stories and the trading and and of course all those things if you want to follow them on twitter i'm going to give that plug elusive recipe on twitter go look them up and i believe that on Gmail, if you want to send them an email, if you want to be a guest of theirs, if you have a story, hallucinogenicrecipe at gmail.com. Just get in touch with them. And once again, only a couple episodes we've done with them so far, but we have a couple in the can that we're getting ready to do. So get in on the ground floor. Yep. Get ready. Hallucinogenic recipe is about to blow up. So thank you guys. That was great stuff. Okay. So this was kind of brought up on me the last second. I knew it existed, but I, I had totally forgotten to go back to it. So it's a little bit of an interview, a little bit of like clips from the show. And then you get some soundcheck stuff too, which is very good. Let's, yeah. I think we start from the beginning where Mike and Dave are being interviewed and many, that, that in itself, like let's how so many weird. Times I've never, ever seen the two of them do something like this together. Like what circumstances occurred for these two guys to be on this TV special representing Pearl Jam? There's got to be a story behind that. It's very strange. pulling a prank or something? Like how did that happen? You know, I thought about this a lot in the show that, that Mike was way more social butterfly during this show. When in mm. the past, he's just kind of stayed in his lane and just kind of stayed stagnant over there. He seemed like he broke out of his shell a little bit more during this. And I, I wonder if he was just ready to be comfortable and not shy. And Dave is always comfortable. He's always ready oh, yeah. to speak. So I wonder if maybe somebody like stone said, Hey Mike, this is your time to kind of say something. And Mike was like, all right, I'll do it today. And what happened is the stuff of legends. I'll yeah, this is, I can't believe this hasn't become like iconic in the Pearl Jam universe, this little clip here. That's probably the fact that, you know, it got put on YouTube so late and sure. who is Googling, who's who's searching for this stuff. Yeah. I, I think it's up to us to make sure that that clip live on forever because it's, it's freaking hilarious. And maybe that's why Mike was never asked to do interviews or anything. Ooh, maybe. What happened to the good old drum machine and uh, synthesizer? Good old drum machine and synthesizer <laughs> can suck my ass, but it's it's. Did you say that? Probably not, but I don't know. We're not in the USA, so maybe we can. I don't know. I think it's 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 what people want. People want to hear aggressive, loud, kind of. It's just it's what the crowd wants. It's what people get to a point where they they hear too much whatever jerk off. Ding 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 jerk off. Like that's yeah. He wanted to represent the band somehow, but he also kind of knew it was like, ah, this will never get back to us. This is in Holland. Like, yeah, exactly. we're in the U.S., yeah. so it doesn't yeah. matter. I, I bet you he would never do that in a U.S. interview. So, sure. Real quick about the sound checks. I, they were awesome. And I think back to we have an episode that's coming out pretty soon that's Saturday Night Live from 1994. And the sound checks and rehearsals from that you can tell that the band was just going for it. They were 100% as much as they went for it during the live performance, they went for it in the rehearsal. And it feels the same way during this sound check. Yeah, the big thing from this that ties into the show is that you see Ed 
go start climbing the speaker wall during a live. And that answers the question that we will have during a song later that we're going to talk about where Ed goes. You do see it here. So that, that, that caught my eye. That was interesting. I'm surprised whoever was on camera missed it later, but they got it. They got it in the sound check here. Yeah, I actually, that was something I, I was thinking about bringing up, and I'm glad you mentioned it, because, yeah, it kind of felt, and we can get the, into it when, when the song comes, so why don't, why don't we just start with the show, let it begin. It's Ed coming out on stage, addressing the audience, kind of like he did in Den Hog, and says, this is one of the nicest places we've ever played. We got to hang out in your city here the last couple days, it's a really nice place, thanks for having us here. A lot of this show is going to be very similar to the last show, but you are starting off with release instead of an oceans or a wash. that we talked about during Once and Garden in the last episode. Yeah, the reverb and stuff, yeah, on the yeah, vocals. Yeah. It's definitely back on release. I noticed that right away. Mm-hmm. There's just cool moments during this. Obviously, no one is going to get intense and crazy in the crowd, so you weren't really able to see the crowd too much on the Den Hog video, but on this, you can see multiple rows of people just swaying in unison. We talked about that when we did the Stockholm episode and we talked about all those yesterdays. And I know that's more of a recent day kind of thing, but it just felt so natural when this crowd did it here. Yeah, and it's interesting because as a group, the Dutch have very good rhythm, but as we will find out, individually, <laughs> they have very poor rhythm. Right, uh, yep. That, that, that was interesting to me. But yeah, the reverb on the vocals, I think that's one of the things when they recorded 10, it was like, oh, it makes it sound so 80s and kind of like heavy. The vocals sound a lot like the 10 vocals. It's a good sounding bootleg. It's a good, good sounding video. So you can hear everything pretty clearly. I still like this version of release a whole lot. You get the little Dear Jack line, which we had gotten that one time a while back and I thought it might've been him giving a nod to Jack Irons. Like, hey, thanks for giving me the tape. Thanks for hooking this up for me. But I don't know if like 11 had been in town. Like I didn't go back and look to see if they were around, but I can't think of another person that would be not a lot of jacks as important as jack irons in this pearl jam universe 
So tough to tell and tough to speculate on. Right. Is your right. This version has a really good build. It starts off really kind of deliberate and sparse, and it just keeps adding things, keeps adding things. It gets pretty intense at the end. I liked it a lot. Yeah, and actually on that thought of it getting intense, my one thought about Ed's vocals in here, as we talked about in the last episode, the day in between they were supposed to be in another place in Holland, and Ed said, we're going to cancel that show because I need a vocal rest. And obviously he went to go get the tattoo that day. When I'm listening to him here, as opposed to when I listened to it in Den Haag, I didn't really hear much vocal strain. Maybe on like one or two songs, but not a lot. But immediately you can tell how hard he was going. And you can tell that he's getting really raspy really early when he goes for it. You can just see almost like his neck veins popping out. It's pretty intense to watch. It's a pretty good moment. Yeah, I mean, he only knew one volume and one register to go to. There's only one speed that his voice goes in these airs, and that's that's full throttle. And I think the next song, it starts to wear on him a little bit. He sounds a little crappy on even flow. I don't think his voice is doing exactly what he wants it to do. There was a couple moments where I was like, ooh, we're starting to feel it a little bit. For sure. That's a two-month tour, essentially. Oh, yeah. You're going to have some wear and tear, especially like this early on. He doesn't know how to control his voice just yet. He'll figure that out within time, within the next three or four years. But yeah, it's probably the first situation where he really felt like, I need to fix things. I need it to change a little bit. But we get into Evenflow, and just like Den Hog, Ed says the same exact thing. This is just a warm-up. Are you ready? Yep. He's got kind of a plan in mind. And speaking of that, the next six songs are the exact same placement as the shows from the night before. So they have kind of a plan going into this and they'll mix it up a little bit here and there. They'll get in some songs that didn't come last time, but you know, what are you going to do with like 15, 16 songs under your belt? You just do what you know. Cause it worked. Yeah. They're still mixing it up a little bit later on. We're going to talk about some different things, but like, yeah, if it's working, I mean, if you find something that works, you start them off with the slow one and then you get everybody going and you, you find a good rhythm with it. Just ride that wave for another show. It, it worked in Denog. People seem to like that one. So yeah, keep it going. One of the big storylines for me on this bootleg and the sound from it, and you know, you have a pretty good boot when Jeff comes in really, really well. I feel like we were able to hear him better, especially on 10 songs, than most occasions where we have a bootleg from 1992. And it comes through an even flow, but I think there's a song in a little while where it really, oh, yeah. really kind of comes through. Yeah, so I'm, I think I'm with you on that one. Absolutely. I'm, yeah, I'm priming that up here because I did hear it on even flow. And honestly, I, I thought that this even flow was better than the Den Hog. It just felt like, you know, <laughs> things were more energetic and... I thought Mike was kind of on top of it a little more and it didn't feel as generic in a way. And maybe it had a little bit of something to do with like the camera angles were getting real deep in and there were close-ups on Ed and good crowd shots and stuff. So watching it kind of felt a little bit different. It felt a little professional because it was technically. Yeah, it was It was pretty good. I, I noticed too, there's a couple of little things Ed throws in there. There's a don't go to Amsterdam. Yep. And then there's a don't vote Republican. Like, does that mean the same thing in the Netherlands? Like, is he actually, did we check, like, Republicans in the Netherlands might be like the Green Party or something? Like, you got to check this out. Obviously, we all know that Republican in the 1800s kind of meant Democrat right. here. Yeah. They, Republican yeah. kind of stand, stood for progressive and liberal stances. So, yeah, I, I don't really know Holland government kind of stuff. That's, yeah. 
as we, Someone we saw who's last week. Local Dutch politics. Send us an email. Let us know. Well, I actually have a guy on the inside, so okay. I'm going to get to that in just okay. a second. I think you know what it is. Let's go to Wygo. Wygo has a very chugging baseline, and again, like you're just hearing Jeff at his best, and Jeff is really kind of the high. Like you can hear him better than Dave. You can hear him better than some of the guitars at points, but. During this, and this is a storyline we have to go back to because it's just so prominent throughout the whole thing that in this one, it's almost a distraction. Where in Den Hog, oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, they cut bait with it pretty early on. But this is going to be a storyline for a long time in a lot of these songs. People are just getting on stage now. They didn't really do an even flow, but Why Go is the one where they're like, okay, let's let's start doing it. And the first one, it actually addresses. They're like, oh, hold on, my friend. And the guy, they start dancing together. It was kind of a pretty cool moment. And after that, there are like six people on stage in a span of a minute. open. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's and, like, oh, oh, we can do that here? Okay. Right. I, I want to get on stage. And people want to give head high fives. And there's one guy, I think he like angrily was just slapped his hand. And this happens multiple times in the show. It seems like everybody's kicking into the front of house speaker. And you'll hear the feedback coming from it and, and it happens like probably about five times at the show and it's just because people aren't paying attention it doesn't mean anything to these kids yeah they you know? just kind of get up there and, and jump. they'll get up there and like there are some that get up and then immediately jump out one they want to crowd surf but these people that get up and then they decide like this is my moment i'm going to dance with pearl jam on stage and like oh it's such a bad idea watching this 30 years later you're just like I mentioned at the beginning these people have no rhythm and like some of the worst dancing you've ever seen in your life on a stage by young people like oh we're not done with that point oh yet. I know I know it, <laughs> it's, it progressively gets worse and worse as the show goes on but yeah and, and Ed will start to kind of mock them as well there's a more than once where he'll get behind someone doing something ridiculous and just kind of give a look and then just like kind of make fun of them like really that's that's what you're going to do. They just get up there and just lose all sense of spatial awareness and just start freaking out and just moving all their arms and legs in a random motion. It's just sad to watch. And it is it is absolutely a distraction. And look, Ed said all the time that he doesn't like there to be any space between the band and the crowd. And there's yep. got to be some give and take, you know. There's I was almost no begging security. for like a yeah. That's I was just I was begging for like a security guard to come in and just max someone in the head and put this all to a stop. Well, it kind of does happen, but it doesn't happen like he's not guarding anything from the stage. I think there was like two or three instances that we'll see in a little while yeah, yeah, where yeah. somebody comes on and just sort of starts dragging people off, and yep. we'll get into that when that comes. But Ed's kind of addressing what's going on. He knows what's happening. He watches the crowd. He says, it's a sea of people. The tide is high. The waves come crashing on my thigh. And then we get what was discussed last week. Mm-hmm. And we know the answer to now. Ik hafoyau ut faduma. Did you figure out what that meant? I did not. I'm hoping that you did. I love you. God damn it. Excellent. Excellent. I want to thank listener pascal for passing that along and i kind of pascal he had messaged us on instagram and the first thing i said was do you know this quote and he's like yeah i'm, I'm fluent in dutch i can find this out and that's what he got i love you god damn it so Ik 
Utfaduma. So I was pretty I close you. last week with the pronunciation. Yeah, I love you, goddammit. Okay. Awesome. And I'm not sure, but it seemed like the way that he wrote Utfaduma didn't look like how we would write it. So mm. we'd have yeah. to kind of look into that. That's going to come um, back later, too. That's not the end of Utfaduma that we've heard of this show. No, 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 no. And then Ed kind of addresses Jeremy saying, someone told us to say those two things. Jesus told me to say these two things. Jesus also told us to write this song, and it's called Jeremy. Right off the bat, there's just a moment where people, again, on stage, he's watching the crowd, and he says, watch yourselves and your neighbors, my friend, be careful. And we're picking up right where we left off. This could have been a great moment, and it seems like, again, on script, because it was in between Wygo and Jeremy, I believe, the last time that he said, it's out for you, Utfanuma. That's just prime time to be like, all right, guys, we know you're excited. We know you want to have a good time, but please be careful. Please police yourselves, all that. And they should know by now what has been happening this whole entire tour. Yeah, it's like, if it's, like it's 1992. That was the in thing. That was on MTV. You saw MTV and everywhere you went, people were stage diving. You could not escape it. Every show you went to. No doubt. People were doing it. Like it was just everywhere. The Netherlands, America, England, I'm sure. Everywhere you went that had MTV people were doing this you just had to deal with it look we'll kind of get into it a little bit more but i think he had more control over the crowd in den Haag than he does with this crowd mm-hmm. so there was one moment that i liked of this there's just this jock looking guy no shirt jeans and he's got like a buzz cut kind of hair and you can tell that he's the kind of guy that ed was addressing last week like hope you're here for the music kind of guy and he just looks like a, a jock he looks jacked he goes like running head first back into the crowd and ed makes kind of an off mic comment to jeff and says that guy was big <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was also a moment where ed did something with his hands and it caused him to stop singing for a second i wasn't sure if somebody was tripping on his microphone i, I couldn't tell what was going on with that yeah i don't know it looked like because he he would sometimes emote with the songs and he did that a lot last week I thought it might have been that, but then, yeah, it felt like there might have been something else going on that we couldn't tell, like something going on on stage that we don't have knowledge of. Yeah, tough to tell. There's a lot of weird things happening, and you just kind of have to go with the flow when it happens. But another kid tries to engage with Eddie by putting his arm around him. Ed looks like he's trying to be nice, but really his face says, please get the fuck out of here. Yeah. All that being said, it's a very good Jeremy performance. There's lots of shrieking at the end. This is where that crunchy bass sound, and I'm about to really get into in a second, that's where that comes in. There's just that strummy, and that kind of comes in at the end of the song here and starts to get more audible, but that'll be more important in just a second. It says here, just a quick reminder, I'm looking in the front row. If I look close, there are human heads up here, and they break. So if you're going to break someone's head, break it with your own and not your boots, you losers. I'm just going to say that. Losers. Now we go into deep. And now, again, it's not taking a stand on anything. It's not saying that sucks. You can't do that. You can't be kicking people and shit. That doesn't really tell the crowd, please be careful. He had an opportunity, and it seemed like he just kind of passed it a little bit. Yeah. Now, you know, we saw every show last year got stopped for something like Right. And that's what Fugazi was known for. And that's where they would kind of watch. And if things got out of control, they didn't have a problem calling people out on stage and be like, you 
get out. And it felt like Ed didn't have, like you said, quite the command to do that here when he would later. Right. I think the the most telling moment was at Wrigley, the Lucan moment. Yep. yep. I think that that was the one. That's the one that everybody kind of goes back to as uh-huh. like Ed defending women, Ed calling out douchebags. And yeah, that's one of the best. So this is the song where Jeff's bass is just crunch and heavy, heavy strumming in the beginning. feels at this point that during this his bass is like turned up so much more than it was during the previous songs yes this is a very good jeff show and it's been a while since we've talked about one and he is again just everywhere on stage and you see him he's almost strumming harder than the guitars are strumming he's playing chords like and again jeremy has bass chords deep too like he is feeling it on this night there's even a moment where i think Ed's mic cord gets caught on the end of the bass, on the head yes, of the bass. That's exactly and, what happens. And Eddie has to like, wait, don't run off with that thing. Like, he's <laughs> Dude, give me a second. Like, he has to catch him before Jeff, because I don't think Jeff noticed even at first. Right. He has to like go over and catch him before Jeff goes off to like go bounce around somewhere else. Yeah, he's very good. He's very good. Yeah, this is, I think, being caused by another crowd member that wants to be a part yep. of the show. Yep. And I think the issue here, you hear the bass cut out for a second. And I think the issue that they were having, because they mention it for a second afterwards, oh, yeah. is that somebody kicked over his pedals mm-hmm. and they weren't get, paying attention. And even like, and you yeah. have pedals, like, there's probably like a tuning pedal that if you step on that, it's going to cut the sound because right. that's what you do to tune. So he gets a little pissed after this. I don't blame him. And then, like, Ed's wire getting tangled. There's a lot going on that would make Jeff pissed. And I think he uses it. I think he uses it into the performance. But, man, it just looks... Yeah, Ed's helping more people onto the stage in this. But he also brings out, like, he's telling people, again, be careful and stuff. But Jeff is kind of in a mood at this point no he'll go back into being in a good mood but i yeah you can't blame him for that there's there's a moment too i think it, it says be careful you motherfucker be careful well i think that was security taking a kid to the yeah. back they yeah they take a guy they come in and grab him and ed starts to follow him but then he like changes his mind and like goes back to sing like he was kind of of two minds right there he didn't really know what to do Right. Like, am I for the crowd or am I for protection? I can't be for both, but how do I do it where everybody's happy? Weird situation. And yeah. I, I thought it was just so random. A guy yeah. from their crew yeah. kind of came out and if a guy was staying on stage too long, the, the crew member was like, okay, go back. And he wouldn't take anybody out. But that one security guy, he shows up like one more, two more times after this. He just goes after somebody random. Not something that I noticed that was up there like five times. Mm. He's just like, all right, I'm pissed. Let's get this guy out of here and kind of made an example of him. But it doesn't help. It doesn't help. No, it yeah. doesn't work on any side. What I will say that's pretty cool about this is that 
somebody tries to get up and he's surfing right by Jeff and Jeff gets to the top of the stage and he's like in his like has the finger pointing his finger at him and he's like basically tell him turn around and go back <laughs> emphatically and yeah, do yeah, not step on my shit because he was gonna right. look like he was gonna like get thrown onto the pedal board or something yeah afterwards Jeff gets on the mic right after and it's tough to hear what he says but he's basically giving notice to the crowd to basically not come into his area and watch out for what they're doing. Again, he's he's angry, so he's speaking very fast, and like his microphone is not turned up. It doesn't have the clarity that Ed's does. He, you know, he doesn't usually get up there and, and right. take the spotlight. So he's and he was not worried about enunciating so that we can hear it 30 years later. He's yelling probably at a couple of people in front of him. Yeah. And he just wanted to make sure they heard him like, stop doing this. You're fucking with my shit. Yeah. Ed tells a story that kind of goes along with a reason why Jeff would be pissed. Whatever reason it is, it's viable. But he said Jeff worked at a coffee shop for five years, six days a week, so he could buy those pedals. That's why he's so protective of them. When I think of this song being on the radio or MTV or whatever, I'm very protective of this song as well, because it's your life. I hope you listen to it the right way, and live is the right way. Of course, they go into a live. The most personal song to him. So, again, the message doesn't resonate with the crowd of, like, please stop. Another shirtless dude comes up, and security grabs that guy and decides to snatch him. And, and security actually bumps into Ed during this. And Ed gives him kind of a, like, an angry look, like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> like, 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 I'm, I'm supposed to be here. Yeah. Right, right. Not me, them. Yeah. And that's kind of, I guess, where the confusion is, where Ed wants to throw his support. He's always kind of a crowd guy. But, yeah, maybe right. one or two of these people need to be taken care of. But, man, you fucking security. If you're going to bump into me, then go fuck yourself, you know? Yeah. I think he has a short fuse with security guards more than he does with oh, yeah. the crowd, of course. Yeah. But, again, this crowd, it's like, if you're going to get up and do that, you've got to be quick. you got to get up, do your thing, get off. But like, some of these people are like... They think that they're like in the band, like just, just hanging around and trying to dance and just being dumb. And it's like, right. you have to leave now. This is not your area. You can visit, but you can't stay. During this, it seemed like Jeff kind of needed an ounce of positivity. And he walks over, strolls over to the stone side, and they start jamming together. And I think, of course, I think that's a distraction for him. And of course, Stone would be the one that he can connect with for a second and just ignore all the bullshit that's going on around him. But more people come on and somebody tries to grab Ed's hand. He's just rolling his eyes. He doesn't care at this point. He's letting it go. During the song, he's actually like got some, in a lot of these songs, he starts thrashing intensely and kind of gets in front of the crowd and sings the lines and says, don't grab me. It seems like at one point that Ed is actually out of gas. And then right after he kind of takes a breath, he kind of dangles the mic over the crowd for them to sing the chorus. Yeah, the only time in this whole show you get to actually hear the crowd, like hear them sing. I noticed that as well. Mike, top notch on the solo here. We talked about last week and how good that was. I thought that this was excellent as well. I thought last week was better, but okay. I, no, I totally agree that last week was better, but this this sounded excellent. I can't throw this one under the bus, is what I'm saying. All right. 
Post-song, Ed takes a bottle of water, tries to water the garden in order to keep it hydrated, and then takes the mic and says, if this music thing, this band doesn't work out, that's the job I want to cool people off in the pit. That would be a good job for me. Something about the energy of a pit, you get out of it a few times and never want to be away. So he's kind of revealing like, yeah, I kind of still feel like I am one of you. I kind of like all this, but I don't like when it's physically affecting what's happening. Yeah, just don't just don't mess with the show. Like there are certain rules that you have to follow. Like, number one, do not mess with the show because then you're becoming a problem. They weren't following the unwritten rules of getting on stage and stage diving and dancing. It was sad to watch. Black is the next song that kind of caps off our six songs in a row that happened in the same order as last night. And during the beginning, hey, the hey, you can't hear what the crowd is saying, but Ed just says, you guys are fucking amazing. That kind of, I guess, gives reason for him to connect with them. And again, like very good backup vocals from Jeff and Stone on this one. Mm hmm. Stone's guitar, I, I kind of noticed, sounds, this song normally sounds pretty clean. I think you get a little bit of an extra edge from Stone's guitar, like a little bit more gain on it. And this performance gets pretty intense, too. It's a bit shortened, you know? I think you kind of notice that black can extend a little bit longer, and obviously with tags and stuff like that, makes it feel longer, but it felt like a, a short but very good version. Very good. I mean, and not a classic black, but again, this is still, you know, compared to some of the other songs, this is still the latecomer to the live repertoire. So they were still working through it and it hadn't quite found its place yet. But yeah, working on it sounds good. We're hearing somebody yelling for hunger strike here. So that was another storyline that happened last week. That's a storyline that happened every night on this tour that the European crowd knew who Temple of the Dog was. And maybe they didn't really know who Pearl Jam was just yet because the record was coming out in February. But they knew that they had all played with Chris Cornell and that kind of spoke to them. So they're not chanting to play Pearl Jam songs. They're chanting to play Temple of the Dog songs. And Ed says... Here, it's a pretty funny retort, and he says, is, is there a political strike going on here in Holland? Because everywhere we go, they're saying something about a hunger strike. We're just wondering, what, what is that? Then he says, when, when Chris is here, you're going to yell at him, I hope, too. And then kind of points somebody out in front and says, this guy looks like Steve Turner from Mudhoney, and Mudhoney's playing here soon. Steve just came by to hang out in the coffee shops. And then... Makes me believe here that Stone's little burst of whatever he's saying here is trying to mimic Mark Arm a little bit, don't you think? A little bit, yeah. I thought so. It's a little like, Steve, what's up? How are you? Like yeah. that kind of thing. And that, yeah. that to me, like Mark is very high pitched voice and kind of at all speeds at all time. That sounds pretty reasonable to say that. State of Love and Trust didn't happen at the last show. It happens here. Good performance. I think that, like... Very good. Very, yeah. very good. Yeah, Ed's doing the gun to the head thing, which he would do at the time. Obviously not doing it now. But Mike rolling over to Stone to jam for a bit. Bass is real audible during that segue part. Then Mike and Ed have, like, a wrestling match mid-song. Yeah, which yeah. Which is kind of fun. They can horse around. They just don't want anybody else horsing around. They don't trust them. Mike and Ed tr- trust each other, you know? Yeah, State of Love and Trust is one that a lot of times we gloss over this a little bit. It is what it is in the 2010s, you know, it's kind of become a big crowd song, but this one really stuck out to me as very, very good. You mentioned Ed doing all the the gun stuff. He's almost the whole song, he's miming, like having a gun around 
strange to watch 30 years later, but at the time you're like, okay, he's explaining what the song is about. And Jeff has a leap too. Like we've talked about Jeff a lot on the show. This is another one where Jeff stands out. He has he has a leap in this that like he could have played in the NBA. Like you're watching this, I'm like, that's Michael Jordan, like from the free throw line. He jumps and then jumps again in midair. Like oh, very 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 impressive. He uh, played acrobatics. ball at Montana. That's right. And then, yeah, I think you mentioned too during the kind of middle part there. There's a little bass run that he has that he, I don't I don't think I've ever heard him do before, where he Very does good. a little a little fill that's just like like really fast, really good, really melodic. set this above the normal state of love and trust for me and then he goes over to kind of like rock out with stone a little bit you, you mentioned ed and mike kevin having the wrestling match ed has him in a headlock i think while he's playing but the solo here i thought this was mike's best solo of the night what i'm thinking here about you know that section where jeff's playing in that in 1992 it was more along the lines of what the album version was or i should say the singles version was sure and now it's kind of condensed a little bit. They don't kind of go off onto like an extra riff before going into the solo. It's it's shortened up by a couple measures. So right. I think right. hearing that here and hearing that in early songs is kind of refreshing to get it in its true kind of state of form. All right, Ed says it's going quicker each night. That's because someday we'll be gone and it'll all be like once upon a time. Again, Jeff, once... Is a song that I always felt like he got drowned out on a lot. He's again, you can just hear him vibrantly. on the floor at one point that's a good point now jeff gets on the floor and ed i believe this is kind of like the at the time wow i got nothing to say and ed hovers over him kind of screams in his face a little bit it's like yeah he's got nothing and then he just kind of like he gets like right on top of him and just holding the microphone just staring at him just to you yeah that that was a really cool moment i think they we've mentioned the tv clips from this you can tell they integrated the TV clips into the bootleg because, like, the camera angle changes and, like, you get these really close-up kind of professional camera angles. And that's a cool moment that they captured is, like, you you get to see it right up close as Ed right on top of Jeff doing that. That was one of my big moments from the show, too. I'm going to remember that. That was very cool. Now, of course, the visitors haven't been on stage for a while, but they're back in this one. Some kid's head hits the the monitor. Yeah. Oh, that, that kid was not okay after that. No, and I think that's what Ed is all in. Yeah. Like, he just gets yeah. flopped and hits his back. Jesus. The one other thing I want to bring up is that you get to see kind of Jeff's bass strap here. And did you notice his little friend on the back of it? Did. Did. 
Uh, it's a Stooge, but not Iggy Pop. It was a little toy of Mo from the Stooges. The yeah. three Stooges. All right, so here Ed says this is the water pouring song, and they're kind of jamming out to Sympathy for the Devil. And they'll do it another time here. And again, Ed's just doing his favorite job, singing over it, feed the people, watch them grow. And for good measure at the end, we get two quick snippets. It didn't register with me at the time, and I know when you say it that I'm going to be like, of course. So hit me with it. Hard to imagine. Mm-hmm. And why can't I walk down the street for your suggestion? Was it suggestion? It was suggestion. Okay. Okay. So next is going to close your main set. It's going to be Porch. And boy... There's a guy that gets on stage and he's there for entirely too long before the crew guy kind of breaking the rules, breaking the rules, get off. And then really you just kind of have to fast forward to when the music kicks in and the band just goes off. This is a pretty lengthy bridge section. That's just ferocious and fast. You're watching Dave work the hi-hat and it's watching like a factory machine processing at a ridiculous pace, you know, it's nowhere to be seen which we had mentioned before, bring that back. You know, we saw during the sound check, he goes off to Mike's side and starts climbing up this speaker wall that's there. And we had seen it earlier, I think, and during once he's, he goes over by that, like the the previous song, he's over there kind of thrashing around by the speaker wall. Yeah, he he definitely hit that. All up against it. So yeah, he's, he knows it's there. He's thinking about it. And when they, when they get to the porch jam, all of a sudden he disappears. You're like, where'd he go? And again, a very good Jeff moment here during this jam. He's just playing so fast. And then you don't see him. We now know, like, after watching the sound check, he's climbing up the speaker wall. And you don't really know until you get a couple of minutes in and you see Jeff, like, look up and, like, signal to him, like, hold his hands out, like, what are you going to do now? Like, all right, tough guy, we'll jump. And then there's a moment you don't see the jump, but, like, everyone on stage turns like immediately to look and then you see him appear on stage it's almost like very weird like a magician's trick or something like he just (laughs) appears and you see that that must have been the like i thought okay that's when he jumped and like appeared on stage and it kind of took everyone by surprise because they were in this jam and like we're not expecting it this guy appears like next to them you know okay if you go back and watch for that moment where like everyone in the band goes like like jerks their head like what It's pretty funny.
So Mike is chucking his guitar around, uh, swinging it, and kind of going back and forth, throwing it to Ed, and that's how you're going to end this main set. And then Mike is actually, he's in a good mood here. He's high-fiving all the crowd in front and <laughs> basically telling, good job, you guys. Good job. Man of the people. Man of the people. Yeah. That's right. We're at the Encore here. Let's pause for station identification and talk about all the things that we do to, to get back to the community, to provide more, and, you know, stuffs. First, let's go ahead and thank a brand new patron, and this patron is Jason Brown, and he's been pretty active on our social media on the Pearl Jam podcast community group. He was a part of the conversation when I did some tier lists this past week. And then I guess at the end, I kind of say, if, you, if you'd like to donate to Patreon, then please head over and, and donate. And Jason was nice enough to pay for a year subscription of the Horizon Leg, which is awesome. so cool. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, like that is give him whatever he wants. He he told me he went to 109 shows. He has to have a story in there, right? Just have oh, man. just we one or two. Set aside a whole a couple of nights for that. Right. So look, he'll be an interesting profile episode, that's for sure. Can't wait. Thank you, Jason. That was awesome. And yeah, you'll be getting a profile episode, an episode request, and many, many thank yous. So very cool. Always good to get one in. And again, what we did on Patreon last week, we released on Thursday, the Crazy Mary episode. It's two hours and change long, but it's very good if you want to get the story on what they were doing with Crazy Mary Live through 1993, through 1998, even mm -hmm. 2000, 2003. And then, you know, one. fast forward to today. Yeah. And... I think I mentioned this last week. The evolution episode is going to evolve a little bit and uh, some other voices are going to kind of get in and we're going to get their take. And yeah, it might be the voices that you heard from earlier in this episode. So that might be a little hint hint, but of course they're kind of connected to this, but Brian and Patrick, whatever they do is going to be a, like a really good analysis of what the song is. And I think they're going to end up doing deep. So that's a little bit of a spoiler alert. I think that their knowledge within the bootleg circle is going to help this so much more in an aspect that we only touch up on a little bit. So it'll be interesting getting their, their take on this. So if you're interested in that and interested in crazy Mary and all 16 of our other evolution episodes and late night episodes, I believe there's late night episode coming out. We mentioned Saturday night live 94 before that should be very soon coming out and then go back and listen to bridge school episodes or profiles. It's all on Patreon. If you want to donate to the show, $1 tier. All you need to really do is donate a dollar a month or donate $10 for the year. You can do that too. Or donate five if you'd like to get a show request in and we'll put it on the list. Or donate 10 if you'd like to get a show request. If you would like to get a profile on liveonfourlegs.com. And if you'd like to get an actual profile episode that will be aired on Patreon. So a lot of cool stuff happening over there, patreon.com slash live on four legs, or go to the Patreon app, search live on four legs. We're there. And then live on four legs.com. You can go to any page, click on the button says, become a patron. You can just sign up right on live on four legs. That's all you need to do. So lots of stuff going on that we're going to still be pressing a lot of things at Patreon very soon. Coming up this week, live on four legs.com our Concertpedia webpage, which we'll be getting to some Concertpedia entries very soon, some new ones. We have 
an interesting piece that's coming out. And we had spoken to Dave Jantash from LiveFootsteps.org. We had gotten connected with a fan named Alex who had collected all sorts of Pearl Jam artifacts over the last year or so. And it comes from set lists, very interesting stuff, especially the era that we're talking about here. Like he has a lot that are on this little 1992 leg that he has to display and he wants to tell a lot of stories. And then he has a really cool piece. I'm not going to give it away, but it'll be the first thing in the story. Oh, you guys are you'll be not going to want to miss this. It made my jaw drop when I saw it. Who knew that this existed? Who knew that this existed? No I one. Want you to th- no one. I want you to think about that when you pop in and click the link and read the article. We worked on this a lot. This is like kind of a three-week job here, and I took it very seriously. We, we worked on it in steps and then edited it together and figured out what needs to go where and some changes, and, and I think that this is going to be ultimately one of the best things that we have on. I, I can't foresee the rest of the year, but so far, this is the thing I'm most proud of. Liveandfourlegs.com if you want to see some cool-ass shit, you guys. It'll make your jaw drop, as it did mine and John's. So, there you have it. All right, back to The Rock. We're going to get into an encore here that's all freaking over the place. At first, this is very cool. You hear somebody at the kit, and I caught a glimpse before these blue lights kind of came in and covered up his face, but it looked like it was the same shirt that Ed was wearing. And I'm like, oh, that's got to be Ed. He goes back to the drum kit. And it's a very simplistic beat, but it's just fun to see him get on the drums. It's not something that happens too often. So he's playing up to the crowd, too. It gets good reaction. Jeff is kind of bashing some cymbals back there. That is on Five Horizons, by the way. They do mention that it is Ed playing the little drum solo. And I guess what caught me off guard was I think maybe I looked away for a second and then Ed was just in front off stage. I'm like, wait a minute, was that actually Ed or was that Dave? It was a really quick transition from Ed getting up to Dave sitting down and going back on it. So it was a little confusing at first. But Ed says of that, I just wanted to play drums so I can give a drumstick out over here. That was fun. Then the band goes back into another Sympathy for the Devil jam. into alone yeah well th- this too did you notice it was jeff's playing guitar and stone's playing bass i did not notice that actually yeah like i was looking over and, and jeff like takes guitar and he's over in, on stone's side and he's like kind of like jamming out a little bit and i'm like wait that guitar is coming from him like i was up and like are we gonna get smile right here like i'm kind of trained <laughs> to think like what is this gonna be but yeah they just kind of jam a little bit and then he hands it back it could be Dan Sinclair Williams right now. Jeff has to be on the on the keys for right. that to happen. Right, right. <laughs> That's interesting. I'm going to have to go back and look at that one because I did not catch it when watching this. So good eye, good catch. We go into Alone in the Encore, and we talked about last week, you had mentioned that you thought it was one of the best Alones of all time, if not the best. Yeah. And this would be the last instance that they do it until New Year's Eve of this year. And I thought this version was good and kind of swaps off between like speak singing and then changes it yeah, up as yeah the vocals are different yeah going back, back and forth that. 
And then there's a guy at the end who just very carefully drops into the crowd. <laughs> and Ed looks at it and I'm like, wow, the laziest stage dive I've ever seen. I think he says lamest. Oh, I thought it was laziest. Okay. I think it's lamest, yeah. Well, I guess this this couple of minutes in, in this video way, weren't that good for way. me. Right. It was a total dive. Not literally. Just took a dive on the on the dive. Yeah. It was a very like don't grab my wallet stage dive. Like he's being he's just <laughs> looked like he was being very protective of like nobody ripped my shirt, like that kind of a thing. Right. Ed says, I thought I wasn't gonna say anything about this, and we said something about this earlier. And then I thought I should. This is the first show that I ever played with a tattoo. So that kind of answers the question from last week where we were like, right. was it his first tattoo? Mm-hmm. It, it was. And I'm going to guess that earlier in life, Ed probably thought about getting a tattoo, probably didn't have the money for it. You That's know, him say, working yeah, probably two jobs. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is the first time that he said, all right, sure. And he says, I'm a walking piece of art. I used to be just a loser. And we get a little outshine snippet in the background. Okay, you got some legs. Lots of little Easter eggs in the show. Yeah, no vocals on Outshine, just just Mike. No. I don't think Mike was playing it. But they were doing that as an intro to some things. But Ed, just for whatever reason, he was concerned about the tattoo. He focused on that. He he didn't think to to give us a little of Outshine. That's going to go into Leash, and that's going to come back into play after Leash. But we can get through Leash real quick. Big scream at the beginning. That's just so fitting of the song. It's perfect. And now there are like four or five people on stage at a time. And it seems like the band is just doing a good job, just ignoring them and letting the crew and security do all the work. Again, I think there just had to be a conversation in between the shows of how to attack this and how to say like, okay, we want to prevent this. And security was probably like the crew also probably telling the band, you guys do what you got to do. We'll make sure they don't interrupt things. And they kind of, uh, they, yeah, they picked yeah. and choose where to come in. But it'll be interesting to see when we do Rotterdam next week what that situation is like. Sure, I, I think that's a growing storyline for all three of these. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then of course, unplugged. Everybody was on stage. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, this version of Leash, like again, it's very good. It's very powerful. Mike sounds really good in this. I thought Mike. You know, we talked about a highlight earlier. I think it was once that Mike had a really good solo, but this again, Mike sounds very good on. And Jeff's at the end, full bass strumming again. So you're getting some good moments in here. Yeah, Leash. It's one of the highlights. I mean, it's just all like youth energy and pent up aggression and for 1992 yeah that that's that's one of the big ones it appears to seem like this is it and the whole band walks off stage and is out taking polaroids so that tells you hey we're done but ed's still out there and he's saying i'm not going anywhere tell everybody to get back here and then a kid tries to have a conversation with him and that's where ed says i want so badly to jump in would you promise not to grab my leg I just got it. It hurts like fuck. Just don't grab my leg, all right? And then Ed, just like the lamest or laziest stage dive, kind of just presses back. Yeah, you have to like wrap that. You have to wrap those things for a few days and like it's raw and like it could get fucked up if someone's like grabbing at it and tearing at it. Yeah. Sure, of course. He's out there for like tops five to 10 seconds. And that's it. Yeah. He just wants to get the feeling of it. He looks to the back. Tells them to all get back out here so we can play Garden of Stone. 
And then he talks to somebody up front. He says, well, who are you? This is for you. We're going to play Garden of Stone for Chris. And then, you know, I think there are Hunger Strike chants going on here. I'm, I'm not mm, too sure. Yeah. Ed says, I'll sing Hunger Strike if you sing it with. And we get a little acapella sing along before the rest of the band comes out. I'll sing Hunger Strike if you sing with. Cups already overfilled, yeah. but it's on the table the fire's cooking, and the farming babies and the slaves are out walking. But it's on the table the mouths are choking, but I'm going hungry. I'm going hungry, going hungry. I'm going hungry, going hungry. I'm going hungry, going I can't wait. I can't wait to tell Chris about that. Jesus. This is awesome. Who needs Chris Cornell? I thought I would never say that in the world. (laughs) Yeah, it just, I mean, again, it just hits hits home the point that, like, it was almost their biggest song at the time. Right? Yeah. It sounded fantastic. It sounded very melodic and, and says at the end of it, I can't wait to tell Chris about that. And then you hear another guy that just, uh, he, he wants more cake. And he screams out, Rusty Cage! Come on. They give you the yeah. outshine tag. Like, why are yeah, people yeah. just not happy? One biggest Soundgarden fan in the world in, in Utrecht. Yeah, right, exactly. Calling out the deep cuts. Garden is not going to close your show, but it's essentially, as far as originals go, it's the capper, I suppose. Mike had some good moments at first, and then he kind of, at the end, it kind of fades a little bit into the background. He doesn't have that, like, strong presence that he usually does in Garden, where it kind of even gets to metal kind of levels. Right, and, right. But then we see kind of an interesting moment. There, The dude who Ed gave his drumstick to comes on stage, and he's showing it off, like, hey, I got your drumstick, I got your drumstick. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, it's like, it, yeah, again, breaking the rules. I, I know that that was at least like, okay, that kind of comes full circle in a way a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, of course, it's stupid. Ed has a moment with this guy. They're waving their arms around. They're being silly, whatever. And then Ed says, thanks, everyone. We won't forget this. They're not leaving the stage just yet because they're going to get into another jam. And it's going to be another Stones jam. Uh, look, I think it says sympathy for the devil on a couple of outlets here. I'm hearing the bass line to I Miss You from the Stones. I 
I'm not the biggest Stones nerd expert guy. So we talked about it a little bit before, like Miss You is not one of the songs that I'm like super familiar with when you sang it. I was like, okay, that's that's known for being like their disco track, I think, from kind of the late seventies. Yeah. Right. And so I, I can see that because this is very loose. We've seen some jams that like are focused, but this is like This is very nonchalant. This is like what you would hear at like your local bar on a Tuesday <laughs> night when people are going home. Like, it's like, let's just fuck around for a while and let right. these people do their thing. Like, I did not like this at all. This is like some, <laughs> some like hippie shit. Like, people getting on stage and like, yeah, free form dancing and stuff. Like, yeah, no, like, sh- shut this shit down. Like, no. And I think the band kind of like, again, one by one, they're just kind of leaving. Like, eh, we're done. We're done. We're done. Right. We, yeah, we also at this point have more women coming on stage and one keeps asking to kiss Ed and Ed's kind of playing <laughs> coy at first and he's like, yeah, okay. And makes a face about it. And then like, there's just more girls coming up and of course they're not going to get up there while a song's going on. It's, it's there's probably voguing at some point. He's voguing with someone. Yeah, he says strike a pose. Yeah, I think there are two pose, girls that yeah. are sort of, those two girls I think start the hippie dancing I believe yeah, and start yeah. kind of waving their arms around and he starts and singing the he's he's singing the Ikhafiao Utfaduma right lyrics during the jam he's like oh it's very strange I was like oh no this can't be the ending to the show and how about the striped pants guy with the ponytail this is like the most typical amsterdam netherlands kind of guy like he's tall and lean and and bleach blonde long hair and he must have stage dive at least nine or ten times he was out there yeah. a lot yeah yeah and it's just what i said of this ending is that eight kids at first are dancing and then more and more dance it's like the lights kind of go out they come back on and there's 30 people on stage and you're just like yep. what the fuck this is so yep. weird and the band is playing something simple and lazy it's not anything important it's just kind of bullshit but all these kids look like did they fucking just drop acid and they they think they're in woodstock you know <laughs> yeah it reminded me of like you would go see like local bands and be like everyone come up and dance like andrew wk you know back in the late 90s go to like ska shows like go to see like Hepcat or the Slackers or something and everyone oh, that would get on stage and dance show. at the end. Yeah, I've done that and like it reminded me of that, but like there are rules to these things. Like you have to yeah, just... I think at the of, end the, this, the this rules... Me a little about it. I, I, didn't, I didn't like this. The, the rules got thrown out at the end, I think, and I think yeah. they just yeah. gave up. Ed grabbed the guitar, so when Ed yeah. grabs the guitar... Stone's out. Stone's yeah. done. Yeah. Stone's oh, usually the first it one. It looked out. like, yeah, I was going to say, it looked like Stone was the first one to be like, all right, guys, oh, yeah. we're signing off. See you guys backstage. Yeah. I, I think I'm not going to be part of this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Even when the video cut off, it felt like Dave was still going to be out there playing. That's the weirdest thing about this is that during the scene, it's not like we get sort of like Ed saying, all right, you guys, thank you very much. And, you know, everybody gets off and kind of ends. It fades out. It yeah. fades out with yeah. 30 people on stage doing this acid trip dance. <sighs> you're like, what the hell is going yeah. on? Yeah. It's very weird and wild and whatever. I guess it's the end capper on the night that the crowd wanted to be so much a part of the show that they finally gave him a moment to do it. Right. So, right. all right, that's the end. Let's get into some ratings here. 
I think it's my turn to go first. I always kind of bring that up, and I'm sure yep. for a lot of people, they don't understand, but it doesn't matter. Whatever. My first moment from this show is going to be, I, I think there was a lot of cool stuff happening during once. I, I thought that Ed getting wild on stage and, and singing at Jeff and screaming at Jeff, like, I think there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Even if the crowd is getting up there and interrupting things, that was, that was a fun performance. So I'll say once is number three. Number two, I'm going to say is deep because of that, that Jeff crunchy bass riff there. Like, I couldn't get over that. That sounded so good. And yeah, maybe in the middle of deep, some shit kind of hit the fan there. But the sound of deep was just oh, something I hadn't heard before. It was, it was great. Number one, very obviously Porch. That's one of the great Porch jams right mm. there. Just yeah. fast and just buzzing right through. And we don't know what happened with Ed, but it was at least entertaining for them. And the 500 or so eyes that got to see it will be able to tell the story, but not us. So Porch is number one. Oh, I think this is going to be a first for me in that I'm going to put once in my top three. I think I... Really? Musically, it, it's not more... It's... Yeah, so Mike had a very good solo, but it's more about the band's energy playing it and that moment with Jeff like on the floor playing and Ed going over and like they have this little moment and right. thrash around by the speakers and I thought that was just a, a memorable performance from this show. My number two is Porch. Really? Yes. I did think it was very good, but this State of Love and Trust, I thought, just like last week when we had very good versions of Oceans and Alone that might have been the best ever. Wow. This State of Love and Trust, I think, for an early version, an early 1992 version, I thought the best I'd heard in a very, very long time. So I'm going to give State of Love and Trust number one. Wow. All right. That's a good call. Okay. Now we're up to rating the show. And I'm up first. The show in and of itself and the music that's being played and the energy that's happening is all very, very good. However... There's so many fucking disruptions in this. And I can't get over that. I had to stop the show multiple times to make sure that I'm logging what's going on. Because it's almost impossible to get the whole story when watching because it's happening so quick. That it did take me out of the show a little bit. Maybe more than a little bit. And it just, it wrecked the flow. And I think what annoyed me was... That, okay, Den Hog, they were able to take control of it, and then Den Hog really found its form after it took control. And this, they let it continue to be a zoo for the rest of the show. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, ah, it could have been very close to being on Den Hog's level, and it just, I think all that happening took me away from it being up there. So, I think the worst I can do is to give this a 9. And I still like the show. I still really like the set, and it's very good for 1992 still, but if the crowd didn't interrupt the whole entire time, if they weren't taking over the show, then musically, this is probably very close to a 10, but I think from that alone, that took me out of a lot of it. Yeah, I agree. I think they were such a young band at that point, and they were so reliant on momentum and energy that I think if you 
take away that aspect of it, the stage diving and the people getting on stage and being disruptive, I think this does get to that higher echelon of shows. I'm going to give this one an 8.5. It loses half a point for me for the dumb thing at the end, which I just did not like. (laughs) If if the video had cut off at Garden, like if we had no idea that that happened, I would probably give this a 9. But that, oh, I just did not like it at all. Next show we go to, I think we all have to, like, in the parking lot, we get 30 of us, and we all, you know, wait for John to come by, and then all start doing this wavy dance for John. Good luck with that. (laughs) We'll get in front of your car, we'll do it in front of your car, we'll hold up traffic, whatever it takes. You heard it here first, folks. All right, so we already kind of mentioned now we're in the halfway point of this little series of doing 1992 stuff, and next week is going to be Rotterdam. Again, it wasn't the night after Utrecht, but it came on the 6th, so it's still in the same, it's not going completely in order, but we decided there's something that happens in Rotterdam that I really want to get into that doesn't really happen in Pearl Jam shows at all that I think is a good connection within the band. So I want to focus on that for next week. And then after that, once again, Unplugged is the end capper of all this, and it's going to be one of the most important episodes we do. It's going to happen on the 30th anniversary of when they recorded it. So I'm also still, we say this every week that we've done this, and we're also still looking for a guest that happened to be there or happened to have an insight of what was going on. We're looking for somebody to talk to that knows what they're talking about with this show. And we're trying. Trust me, we're trying. And if we don't get it, then I don't think the show will be hurt. But we want to enhance this one. We want to get this to be covered in the best way possible. So, again, call the Live on Four Legs Detective Agency. Live on Four Legs Podcast at gmail.com. Please, if you have any leads, please. We are down to, like, the last week here. Just give us a holler, guys. We can use all the help as humanly possible. And now, that's it for this one. So I guess we can kind of say goodbye. But before saying goodbye and asking you to go to Patreon, if you'd like to go to Patreon and help the show, or this is more simple for you, if you're listening on Spotify, if you're listening on Apple, rate the show. Give us five stars. Leave a comment. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you like. Let us know what we need to work on. We're always open to change. We just want to see what you're digging in this show and what's important to you with the show because this podcast means a lot to different people. There are young people that are kind of taking in all the stuff that they didn't get a chance to hear. So a 1992 show is perfect for them. Then you have people that were kind of old school and kind of from the 1992 era that started. And they kind of want to relive these memories. Then you have a bunch of people that are just, and this is cool too, that they they want to relive the shows that they went to. And that's totally fine. But we want to know how you intake the show. So do that by leaving us a comment at Apple. Or you can even email us. I gave the email before. You guys know what it is. Live on 4 podcast at gmail.com. If something you want to say on what kind of We're nice. We'll write back. We always write back. Yeah. I believe. If we hadn't wrote back to somebody, then please call us out. But yeah, I think I think we do write back way more than other podcasts do. So if you just want a letter back, then hey, we're your podcast. I think we got to stop this because this is turning into waving our arms around and just needing to fade out it's, after it's this. Turning into, it's turning into a little bit of drum machine and synthesizer. Ooh. <laughs> 
wonder if that'll come back in a second. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. Miss you always. And we did it. The show that's on the t-shirt. If you wanted to know what that show is for years and years and years, now you know. So hopefully you enjoyed. Hopefully you got something out of it. We'll see you next week for Rotterdam. I think drum machine and synthesizer can suck my ass. And tick, 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 jerk off. 